All right, all right. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Hello. What's happening? Nothing. Nothing here either. Still living the corona dream. Heck yeah. Quarantine Worry. life. Worrying that every little sniffle I have is going to be my death sniffle. Because, you know, there's no other illnesses anymore now that there's corona. Nobody has a cold or strep throat. It's the worst for those of us with allergies. Everybody yeah. judges, you know. Yes. And I like try my best to like not let on that I have allergies. But you know, when you have allergies, you just get those like little tickles in your throat and then you're like <coughs> and everyone stares at you like you're Satan and you're like <laughs> Then you have to you feel like you have to announce like it's allergies. I have allergies. Yeah, <laughs> it's just allergies, happens. guys. It's so bad that I like even kind of question myself, like I was saying. I'm like, oh, yeah, like, I have this symptom, this symptom, and this symptom. And my mom, who's, like, been my mom for 29 years now, is like, oh, so, like, you've had every year since you were a little kid. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. It's not COVID. It's allergies. But it makes (laughs) you so paranoid because then I'm like, what if I get someone sick? What if this? What if that? Like, no, I'm just going to be miserable until the damn canola's gone. (laughs) Soon as the canola blooms, it's like a... Light switch. Mm-hmm. I hear ya. Stupid flowers. But we're not here to talk about coronavirus. No, we're here once again to talk about murder. Well, kind of. Disip- kind of. We're all, we we like to. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's murder. This one totally suits my mood for the day. I was telling Amber. I was like, I am just crabby today. I'm just not having life, feeling sassy. And today we are covering the disappearance of Jimmy Hoffa. This is like one of the most popular, I would say, cold cases in the world, like in the nation for sure. Yeah, this it's like one of the most. Ties. Heck yeah. We love some organized crime. Oh, I just love it. So, James Hoffa was. Uh, born on actually Valentine's Day, 1913. Um, he, we're going to spare you the details of his whole childhood life. Basically, his dad died um, when he was a young boy from lung cancer because he worked in a mine in um, around Michigan, Detroit, Michigan. And he um, had a lung disease, lung cancer, whatever it was. Um, he... Jimmy, Jimmy, as they come to call him, call him, was only seven when his dad died. So they were pretty broke. They lived in Detroit. Um, he only went to school until he was 14 years old. And then he started working manual labor jobs, which brought him kind of into like his life of organized crime. So I actually had to look this up, but he was part of a union called Teamsters and it's also called the IBT. So If you hear us say the IBT, it's the same thing. But basically, this was in the 70s when unions were like, which they still are a really big thing in a lot of stuff. But this was like a transportation and shipping. Yeah, it was like trucking and warehouse or whatever. Fun fact, my dad was a teamster back in the day. He was, yep. So when, when... um, you suggested this case. I was like, oh, my parents have talked about Jimmy Hoffa. My dad was a teamster. So Yeah. Yeah. 
So he basically got, he met his wife actually at a strike (laughs) for laundry workers, non-unionized laundry workers. And they were trying to bring them into this union, basically trying to make it be all kinds of um, like grocery stores, shipping, any kind of service work that stuff had to be shipped around. They were trying to be a part of it. He ended up marrying his wife. Um, They had two kids together. They had a nice house in Detroit. They had a little cottage home in um, Orion Orion Township, Michigan, which was north of Detroit, which, you know, just thinking about this, our coworker that's from Michigan, I should ask her about him. I bet she's got all kinds of random knowledge about this. Yeah. So he basically got started with this union on a total like grassroots level is what they called it. Um, he worked as in, on a, in a grocery store. Kroger actually is the name that I found. Um, started as, from the bottom. Now we're here. Yeah. <laughs> now he's back on the bottom, but we'll get back to that. <laughs> so he tried to organize a union because they weren't getting paid enough. Um, they were not getting working in any kind of safe environment. So he was really, really young at this point, like a teenager, but he was really like brave. He was matter of fact with it and he really impressed everybody. And so he kind of slowly rose up the chain at this leadership uh, or at this union up the leadership chain at this union for the Kroger grocery store. And then in 1932, he left the Kroger grocery store chain and really got into, like, unionizing. He wasn't working for anybody anymore. He was basically trying to be um, a union guy, which this was, like, a really big thing back in the day. So he became an organizer with a Teamsters union out of Detroit. So when they first started um it was teamsters was actually founded in 1903 i didn't realize how far this has really come when it started they were kind of like a trucker like truckers hauling the things so he took over leadership of this we're going to basically spare you all the details took over this entire union conglomerate in uh, 1936, I believe. Yes. And by the time that three years later, there were 420,000 members. And when he took it over in 1936, there was 170,000. So it like flew up during the world war. But so trucking unions at this time, all of them, I wouldn't, shouldn't say all majority of them were basically controlled by organized crime because they were moving a lot of things for organized crime. And Hoffa was, Jimmy Hoffa was trying to really get um, a big footing and be like a big presence in the union activity. So he kind of got himself in with the mob. And yeah. And the more, the bigger that the IBT got, the bigger, um, the crime influence on the IBT got. So he kept getting in deeper and deeper. He was basically trying to impress these mobsters and get their business and get additional. Which seems to be what happens. Like you can't just be in a little bit with the mob. No. You are, you're, you're in, you're in. No. 
Um, so Hoffa took over the presidency of like the total presidency of the Teamsters in 1957. And I didn't realize, realize this, but they were like kind of voted in. And the guy that he took over for was actually <laughs> on trial and had to speak at the U.S. Senate Select Committee on um, Improper Activities in Labor and Management Field in 1957. This guy didn't want to say anything to, again, you know, self-incrimination, plead the fifth. You'll never even guess how many times this guy pled the fifth. 140 times. That's a lot of times. <laughs> and he was actually already indicted on um, additional charges when the convention took place that Hoffa took over. So this wasn't... Excuse me, this wasn't something that, like, Hoffa started. These trucking unions were totally a huge part of organized crime from the time when, in the 1930s, during the war, all the way up through into the 1950s. But I would say probably from the 1950s to the 1970s is, was, like, a huge mafia time. Like, it was the mobsters era, kind of. He was elected, Hoffa was elected three times under three five-year terms. So 15 years he was president of the Teamsters. Um, he really, the first time he was um, re-elected, he came up with this agreement called the National Master Freight Agreement, which brought all of these truckers under one single um, like unionization and kind of the same rules, the same, cause I mean, I'm not super familiar with the union stuff, but there's basically, you have somebody that speaks for you, um, equal rights for everybody. Your pay is negotiated. Your benefits are negotiated. Everything is negotiated through your union. So this was a huge agreement that he came up with. Then he was also trying to bring in, um, the whole flight, Flight, flying industry, airline workers. Um, he tried to, <laughs> tried to bring in laundry workers, as we saw at one time. Basically, any kind of service industry. Basically, all of the 1960s, he was either under investigation, um, on trial, or in jail for <laughs> various money laundering jury tampering, mail fraud. I mean, this guy was like, it's, he was a total organized crime guy. Oh yeah. So yeah. In 1963, he was indicted for jury tampering because he was trying to bribe a grand juror. He was sentenced to eight years. And while he was on bail for that crime, he was convicted in a separate trial mm -hmm. for conspiracy and mail and wire fraud and sentenced to five years. Like he's got so much crime going on. He's getting convicted of crimes when he's on bail for other crimes. And actually when in the trial in Chicago in 1964, he was the mail and wire fraud. That was for improper use of their pension, the teamsters pension. So <laughs> yeah, dad's pension was going to organize crime. Well, it's funny. I asked my mom about this. I'm like, so, what do you think happened to Jimmy Hoffa? I'm sure you have opinions, and we got to talking about it and whatever. And she said that um, the reason that my dad didn't have health insurance when he was a member of the Teamster Union or whatever 
was because Jimmy Hoffa was stealing all the money. (laughs) (laughs) We can just kind of leave it at that. Jimmy was in and out of prison. He was actually got his sentence converted by none other than Mr. Richard Nixon. (laughs) He was supposed to have 13 years in prison. I think he only served, what, like five? Five, yep. And he somehow got President Nixon to commute his sentence to time served. Hmm, wonder how that happened. Then he had originally resigned from his spot at the IBT because of his imprisonment. He got a $1.75 million termination payment. Yeah. So it made him rich. Yeah. And he's the only person... That had, like, ever gotten something big like that. But then the IBT backed Nixon to get him reelected in 1972. So this was politics, organized crime. Oh, for sure. But the rule was, once he got out in 1971, he had to stay away from labor organizations until 1980. He didn't. (laughs) (laughs) Nope, he sure didn't. (laughs) He didn't follow the rules. And the mafia did not like that plan. No. Well, and the mafia, as we all know from watching all the craziness, you can be, like, top of the mob one day, and the next day you're getting shot in the back of the head. Like You're swimming with the fishes. Mm -hmm. 1973. Jimmy was president of the Teamsters again. Thank you. <laughs> what do you know? Ow. Mr. Nixon in 1973, for any of you that know, or if you've ever been living under a rock, was dealing with his own scandal. Watergate. <laughs> <laughs> that was the, Jimmy Hoffa was the least of his worries at the time. But. Right. But a lot of people at this by this time did not want Jimmy in power. They were like, dude. I mean, I can't imagine why. He only just, like, stole a bunch of money. and Then he was making up. He was writing his own autobiography. Um, he published his autobiography. Now I kind of want to go and read that. Yeah. So July 30th, 1975, he had went to go meet with two mob bosses to try and come up with like a I kind of think of this as sort of like a mediation (laughs) (laughs) he was trying to keep them happy basically so uh, he wouldn't get killed and he could (laughs) do his job and can we we talk about their names because my favorite thing is mob names Anthony, Tony, Jack Gia Cologne and Anthony Tony Pro Provenzano. I just love it. Yeah. Yeah. So fancy. So he was meeting Tony Jack and Tony Pro. <laughs> Tony Pro told him that. <laughs> so Hoffa went to him and when he was trying to like regain his power and get back to where he was and was like, hey man, I could really use your support, blah, blah, blah. And Tony Pro looked at him and said that he would pull out his guts and kidnap his grandchildren. <laughs> All right, then. So I think, I think that's a no. 
I, yeah, I don't think things are going to work out. Yeah. So the big beef was between Jimmy Hoffa and Tony Pro. And Tony Pro was a capo regime in the Gio, Genovese crime family, which is like a huge crime family from New York City, apparently, which I did not know anything about that. But this stuff just makes me think of The Sopranos, and I just love it. Mm-hmm. My dad's favorite show for like a long time when I was younger was The Sopranos, and he would call and leave voicemails pretending to be Tony Soprano. And it was really irritating at the time, but now it's kind of funny. That is funny. Yeah. So they um, were all supposed to meet at this restaurant to kind of sit down, have a mediation, figure out what was going on. They were supposed to meet at 2 o'clock in the evening, or 2 o'clock in the afternoon, at this suburb, at this restaurant called Machas Red Fox. This is actually the place where his son, Jimmy Hoffa's son, had had his wedding reception. So that's interesting. That's a fun fact. Yeah. So he waited there from 2 o'clock until, like, 2.30. He finally called his wife. I mean, this is all kind of rough timeline because it's a payphone, right? So, and it's the 70s. So use this payphone, called his wife, said that Tony Pro was not showing up and that he thought he was being stood up and... (laughs) He said he would be home by 4 o'clock to grill steaks for supper. Spoiler alert, his wife never got a steak. (laughs) A couple people saw him, um, like, kind of just standing in the parking lot, waiting around, complaining that the guys were late. Um, But basically then, they think probably between 2.45 and 3 o'clock, probably, that he, for some reason, left the restaurant, whether... There's various theories that we're going to get into about this. By 7 o'clock, he was never seen or heard from again by anybody. 7 o'clock the next morning, Jimmy's wife calls her kids and says that their dad isn't home. (laughs) Their daughter said that she had a vision that their dad was dead, which, whatever. I mean, these big, huge, organized crime families are just crazy. The interesting thing is, though, is she did not see him before he went to this restaurant. And the outfit that she saw him in in this vision was the outfit he was wearing when he left the house to go meet these guys. So do what you will with that, guys. But Well, well, okay then. Yeah. So they eventually ended up filing a missing persons report. Um, they called the Michigan State Police, the FBI was brought in, which is interesting. Um, mm-hmm. They filed a missing persons report at 6 p.m. that night, and they offered a $200,000 reward for any information regarding Jimmy's disappearance. So there are, like, numerous, numerous, numerous theories of what could have happened to Jimmy. Uh One is that the guys said that they wanted to meet him elsewhere, picked him up, took him to a house. He ended up possibly being murdered. They're actually, uh, I don't want to get too far into these names because (laughs) there's so many of them. There was a man named Charles Chucky O'Brien who had borrowed his friend's car 
to deliver fish <laughs> that day of all the things. <laughs> Chucky had been Jimmy's foster son at one point, but they had had like, which I kind of take the foster son thing as like a, I'm going to take you in. You're going to be my little thug type of situation is kind of what I'm imagining. Not sure. saying that's what happens with foster parents, but I'm just imagining. That know, that's the kind of foster parent that Jimmy Hoppe yeah. might be. Yeah. yeah. You're just going to be my, one of my little puppets here. So mm-hmm. something had went south between them. And the family thought that maybe Chucky O'Brien had something to do with it. This The car that Chucky O'Brien used to deliver fish that day, they actually, police dogs, I found his scent, Jimmy Hoffa's scent in the car, and they actually found hair that belonged to Jimmy Hoffa in the car. So that kind of ties in with that one. Um, (laughs) The two gentlemen that were, I'm already, their names are just off the tip of my tongue, so I'm just not even going to say them. Um, they said that they did not have a meeting with Jimmy. They were nowhere near the restaurant. Um, one of them said he was playing cards with a friend. The other, like they, and I, apparently the police went into a lot of like surveillance and wires and stuff, but nobody would talk about Jimmy's disappearance, even in private. Like even their informants couldn't get people to talk about it. So that it was like a total quiet, had nothing to say about it, which there's obviously people that know. I mean, there's there's lots of rumors. There's rumors that he's buried under the old New York Giants and New York Jets stadium. That is my favorite theory. Yeah. <laughs> that they, like, chopped him up and put him under, <laughs> buried him in that when it was being built. Yeah, um, like, cut him up, froze his body parts, and then put him in yeah. the cement. Uh, there's another one that he was put in a trash compactor. Uh, he was chopped up and sent to Florida and was fed to alligators in the Everglades. Uh, what else did they say? Oh, there's a really large building in Detroit. I think they called it the Renaissance building that he's buried under that. Yeah. That's what, when I asked my mom about it, that was her first thought. She's like, basically everybody that was talking about it at the time, is convinced that he's buried somewhere under some infrastructure that was being put up at yeah. the time. His body is in some cement under a building somewhere. And then they also said that he got put in a car crusher and then the car crusher, the crushed cars got sent to Japan. Yeah. <laughs> so, oh, and then there there's another one too. And this one is like wild and crazy that federal agents tossed him out of a plane over yes. the Great Lakes. Yes. <laughs> I forgot that one. So there's like tons of crazy theories. Mm-hmm. And so he was actually ended up being declared dead. I don't remember the exact date. Um but it was oh, yep. December of 1982, he was declared legally dead. And uh, his wife actually died before that, which is really kind of sad. So she didn't even get to see her crime boss hobby. I don't even know if you could call him a crime boss. But there have been, like, numerous people, people in the FBI, um, crime, people that were in organized crime with Jimmy. There have been... um, confidential informants there have been like tons 
of people that give varying opinions of what they think happened to him. Uh, there is a book that was actually written by one of the guys that used to be kind of under Jimmy, like one of his little cronies called Frank, the Irishman Sheeran. And he wrote a book called, I heard you paint houses, which is basically code for, do you kill people? Um, this book has actually been made into a movie, which is, has Robert De Niro as the Irishman. And it's called The Irishman, so check it out. I think I'm going to put it on my list because I think my hubby made watch that one too. Heck yeah. Yeah. But apparently, Frank Sheeran had admitted that he had killed Jimmy because he figured if somebody was going to, it had to be him. And he basically got talked to into it by somebody higher up. Um, he did give a bunch of information. They the house that he said that he shot him at in the back of the head twice, he gave very dis- distinct details. Um, they went to the house and they actually did find blood there, but they can't prove that it is Jimmy's blood. Um, there is another book called the Iceman confessions of a mafia contract killer that this man also claims that he knows what happened to Jimmy He was put in a 50-gallon drum and set on fire, and then the drum was buried in a junkyard. So, I mean, this one's kind of crazy because there's really no real answers. Like, there's people still talking about it, like, as of this year. That, oh, we think what happened. Well, that's crazy that it seems like different people are confessing to it. Different people are like, yeah, I did it. Like, mm-hmm. nope, yeah, I did it, and here's what I did. It's like, and it's I, I guarantee we'll never know what happened. No, he's buried somewhere. But the old Giants and Jets stadium has since been torn down, and apparently the FBI must not think that that's, like, a true story because they didn't even go check it out when it got tore up. So that's kind of yeah. Like That's the one like I was kind of rooting for. I know. That one was the most interesting to me. I mean, I feel like... Somebody could have gone and checked it out. <laughs> I'm sure somebody did, but but they say, said he was buried under Section 107. So so there's an interesting one for you. I don't know. I just love this one. I love organized crime stuff. Then it got me thinking about John Gotti. I'm gonna have to add him to the list because that one got real interesting. <laughs> there's probably like a hundred stories related to John Gotti. Like that's the problem with these. You get into it and. You could just, like, find information for days. It's crazy. This is how I am with my whole life, though. True. Me in a nutshell. I just need to know the things. Random things that nobody cares about. But it's fine. But, yeah, guys, that's all we've got for this one. It's it's another unsolved one. If you guys want some solved cases, you better start sending us some suggestions. Yep, exactly. You're never going to get to John Benet Ramsey and Ted Bundy at this rate, guys. No, you gotta you gotta give us something before we give you that. <laughs> We're doing the best we can. We're trying to dig deep into the archives to find interesting ones, and it's mm-hmm. worth noting that recently, our favorite podcast, Crime Junkie, has covered two cases. That we have already covered. 
They cover yes. the smiley face theory and Rico Harris. So we found them before the crime junkie girls did. Heck yeah, we did. I like to think that they copied us. I'm sure they didn't. <laughs> Brett and uh, Ashley, my- if you're listening, we don't think that. It's fine. No, you can copy us anytime. I listened to both of them recently, too, and it was, I mean, it was interesting. It's cool to hear somebody else's perspective on it. And also, fun fact, my favorite murder did the James Jordan case. The huh. murder of Michael Jordan's dad. Yep. I'll have to go listen to that one. I bet that mm-hmm. one's kind of funny. It was, yeah, it was interesting. And they also did not know that he was murdered. I thought I was the only one. I was like, oh, my gosh, am I like a weirdo who doesn't know that he was murdered? But they I didn't know. know either. I didn't know that either. <laughs> so, guys, please, please, please send us some suggestions. Yeah. We need some fresh material. Yeah. Like, I know you have something in the back of your head being like, I wish they would talk about this one. We're just Tell us. Trying, we're just trying to keep it fresh and spicy. Yep. <laughs> That's what we're trying to do. <laughs> I mean, we are. It is what it is. <laughs> so, shoot, if you have any suggestions, shoot them our way. Otherwise, we will see you next time, guys. That's it for today. Stay safe and... Yeah. Lock your freaking doors. Goodbye. Bye.